Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church at Arco, Idaho, and also our uh, friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. And as you're turning, this is the uh, first weekend of the uh, NFL season. And so it reminded me of a story I just saw recently. This is a true story. Believe it or not, this is a true story, and it's one of my favorites. Uh, John Cassis told a story recently about a time when he was serving as one of the chaplains for the Chicago Bears during their glory years of the 1980s. Yes, the Chicago Bears did actually have glory years uh, many decades ago. As John tells it, head coach Mike Ditka uh, was about to deliver a locker room pep talk during their team chaplain uh, chapel program uh, one day. Uh, he looked up and he saw defensive tackle William the Refrigerator Perry. Uh, how could he not see him? At 338 pounds, the fridge stood out even in a crowd of pro football players. Ditka gestured to the fridge. When I get finished, he said, I'd like you to close with the Lord's Prayer. And then the coach began his talk. Meanwhile, Jim McMahon, who was the brash and outspoken quarterback at the time, tapped John Cassis on the arm. Look at Perry, McMahon whispered. He doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Sure enough, Perry sat down with a look of panic on his face, his head in his hands. He was sweating profusely. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, said Cassis to McMahon in disbelief. After a few minutes of watching the refrigerator leaking several gallons of sweat, McMahon, never known as a genius himself, nudged Cassis again. I'll bet you 50 bucks Fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. As Cassis tells the story, he stops to reflect on the absurdity of it all. Here we were sitting in chapel and betting 50 bucks on the Lord's Prayer. When Mike Ditka finished his pep talk, he asked all the men to remove their hats. Then he nodded at Perry and bowed his head. It was quiet for a few moments before the fridge spoke in a shaky voice, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Cassis again felt the tap on his shoulder. It was Jim McMahon. Here's the 50 bucks, chaplain, he whispered. I had no idea Perry knew the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> true story, true story. Now, uh, today, we're going to begin a series from the book of Proverbs called Words of Wisdom. And next Sunday, as you saw in the video announcements, or next month, I should say, during February and March, we're going to do an eight-week series uh, from Philippians called Unexpected Joy. And if you get a chance to get a hold of the book that's going to go with this, we are so proud of this. This is 100% produced by our church, uh, the Bible Commentary. Uh, that goes throughout the eight weeks uh, from people within our church. Uh, the, all the writing, all, the photography, is original photography is from our pianist up here, uh, Matt, who's a student at Cal Poly, and he did all the original photography there in the book. And so this is completely from our, our church, and you can use it in your small groups. I'd encourage many small groups to go through this study in February, March, leading up to Easter. Or you can use it personally as a devotional book as I preach through the book of Philippians during February and March and really encourage you to get a hold of that. It's like a donation of $10, but if you can't afford it, just get it. We want everybody to have this. Uh, take it for free if you can't afford it. We just want our whole church to go through Philippians together. But now this month, we're going through Proverbs. And the way we're going to do this, as I challenged last week, and if you weren't here last week, I challenged everybody to read a chapter of Proverbs per day 
throughout January. And that works out perfectly because January has 31 days and there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. And it's real easy. Even if you miss some, just skip ahead like today. Just jump in. Don't worry about the previous six chapters. But if you're just hearing this today, chapter 7. Or if you missed last week, just chapter 7. Today is January 7th. Read chapter 7 and so on uh, through the 31 days of January. And you'll get through what I'm preaching on here on Sunday mornings from the book of Proverbs. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take three themes from what we're going to be reading this coming week. So chapters uh, 7, 8, right on through 14 is next Sunday and chapter 15. We're going to go through uh, the upcoming week. And I picked out three major themes from this section of the book of Proverbs. And we're going to look at three obscure stories in the Bible that illustrate those three themes. So the title of our study is Give Gentle Answers, Take Advice, and think before you act. First of all, give gentle answers. Proverbs 11, uh, verses 12 and 17. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I read an article this past week that talked about how social media could be tearing our nation apart. And and you can debate whether it's the symptom of something else or whether it's the problem, the cause of the problem, or whether it's a symptom of the cause of the problem. You can debate that. But it just talked about how the fact that because we have a degree of anonymity online and, and, and Twitter, and boy, I'll read uh, things that people write after an article and that kind of thing, and then how they talk to each other online. And here's the problem. We have always had disagreements in American life. So that's what makes America a wonderful country is the freedom to disagree with each other. But here's the problem today. It is moving into not just disagreeing, but belittling each other. Anybody want to say amen to that? Uh, we, we belittle each other. And the Bible says it is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. You can disagree without being disagreeable. We can disagree without um, impugning the person themselves. You know. And so, so many things you read online, they'll say, you know, somebody will express their opinion. And somebody will not just say, well, here's my opinion comparing to your opinion. It begins with, you're an idiot or something way worse than that. And just puts the person down. You're so stupid to think that way. It belittles them. And the Bible says it is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. Verse 17. Your kindness will reward you and your cruelty will destroy you. We will be rewarded as a nation and as individual Christ followers the kinder we are to each other. But the more cruel we are, it will destroy us. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verses 16 and 18. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Now, I know what you're thinking, like I'm thinking. Easier said than done. But the Bible says one of the marks of Christian maturity, uh, one of the marks of godliness, righteousness, is the ability to stay calm when insulted. Some people make cutting remarks. Next verse, verse 18. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. The wise, those that are in Christian maturity, uh, in the New Testament you call it Christian maturity, in the Old Testament you call it wisdom, but the words of the wise bring healing, but other people make cutting remarks. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 3, those who control their tongue will have a long life, or at least a longer life than they would have. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Proverbs 14, verse 29. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Uh, Proverbs 15, 
verse 1. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. You know, I say to the pastors all the time, uh, and, and Pastor Tamiko and others know, I just say this all the time. We all walk around with buckets of water and of gasoline. And when we encounter conflict, when we encounter a little fire or a medium-sized fire, we can all either pour water on that fire or we can pour gasoline on that fire. And obviously, my challenge is pour water, don't pour gasoline. But I would extend that challenge to the whole church family. We all walk around with a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline. And you encounter some gossip, or you encounter some criticism, or some negativity, or, 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 or something, you encounter a fire. And when you come across that fire, every one of us have either a bucket of water or gasoline. And we can either pour water on that to knock the fire down or even out, or we can pour gasoline on it in order to accelerate it. Now, here's the obscure story I want to pull out to illustrate that, and it's a good one. The, the difference between Gideon and Jephthah. And these are two leaders of Israel that each deal with almost identical situations. It's funny how practically identical they are. They're four chapters apart, number of years apart, but they're almost identical. They're leaders of Israel, and they have to deal with a tribe of Israel called the Ephraimites. Now, the Ephraimites uh, are just the most annoying people you can imagine. They are the most irritating people. Here's what the Ephraimites do in both situations. They are called to go into battle against insurmountable odds. Gideon and Jephthah led the nation of Israel almost on a suicide mission against huge armies, incredible odds against them. So when it was most dangerous, almost a suicide mission, the Ephraimites are called to battle. They do not show up. But after God turns the battle in favor of the Israelites, and the enemy is on the run, and the Israelites have won the day, now they show up. And then they're offended because they don't get more of the credit for the victory. Does that sound irritating or what? And maybe this is random. And, and for you students, I just want to tell you, one of the reasons that I'm just so glad I'm not in school anymore are, are, are two words, group projects. Group projects. How many of you remember group projects? Okay. And, and the reason I'm kind of glad I'm out of school because they're more and more the thing now. All right, My wife just graduated for a master's from Fuller and so uh, a few years ago. And group projects are the thing in grad school and in college. I don't know if they are in high school as well. Just group projects are the thing. I never liked group projects. Here, here's what you don't like about group projects. The person who does the least amount of work gets the same grade as the person who did the most amount of work. Now, if you're one of the ones that did the least amount of work, it's awesome. The group projects are the greatest. But if you're one of those conscientious people who does tons of work and carries the group on your shoulders, it is highly irritated. Well, that's the way the Ephraimites were. They showed up at the end. They did the least amount of work in the battle, and they were the most offended when they didn't get the same grade or the same honor as everybody else. Okay, now let's see how Gideon handles it, which is a Christ-like response. A, this is the Old Testament pre-Christ. So this is the godly response. And then Jephthah has the human response. First of all, the godly response. Uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Then the people of Ephraim asked Gideon, why have you treated us this way? Why didn't you send for us when you first went out to the fight the Midianites? He did. And they argued heatedly with Gideon. And now, remember, Gideon's tired. He's been in battle. He's worn out. And yet, look at the response. But Gideon replied, what have I accomplished compared to you? 
It's not true, but it's nice, all right? Even, aren't even the leftover grapes of Ephraim's harvest, the, the thing you did at the end, even better than the entire crop of my little clan of Abiezer? Uh, verse 3, God gave you victory over Oreb and Zeb, the commander of the Midianite army, only because they caught him when they were running at the end of the battle, all right? What have I accomplished compared to that? When the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. He poured a bucket of water on the fire. It calmed down. And there was unity in Israel. And God blessed the reign of of Gideon. And it went on for quite a long time, generation to generation. They had quite a bit of peace because they had a leader who knew words of wisdom and gave a gentle answer. Now let's compare this to Jephthah. Fast forward a number of years and four chapters. Identical situation. Then the people of Ephraim mobilized an army and crossed over the Jordan River to Zaphon. They sent this message to Jephthah, who had just put his neck on the line, who had just led Israel in a great victory. Why didn't you call us to help you fight against the Ammonites? Before it was the Midianites. Now it's the Ammonites, but it's the Ephraimites in both cases. We are going to burn down your house with you in it. Okay, let's see the response that Jephthah has. Jephthah replied, I summoned you at the beginning of the dispute, but you refused to come. You failed to help us in our struggle against Ammon. So when I realized you weren't coming, I risked my life, went to battle without you, and the Lord gave me victory over the Ammonites. So why have you now come to fight me? Verse 4. The people of Ephraim responded, you men of Gilead are nothing more than fugitives from Ephraim and Manasseh. So Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and attacked the men of Ephraim and defeated them. This is more emotionally satisfying response. It says a couple of verse later, verses later, it said he killed 42,000 of them. We have a saying in the South, they needed killing. That guy needs killing. And the Ephraimites needed killing. And this is the Liam Neeson response. This is the... Uh, uh, you know, this is the Sylvester Sloan's response. This is the, this is the, just the human response. It feels good. I have to admit, when I read that, I'm like, yeah, stick it to the Ephraimites. But it, it was not. It was ungodly. And it caused disunity and civil war that just went on and on. And Jephthah's reign was not successful. And it was not long-term because he did not have a godly response like Gideon had had. And so the first principle from uh, this section of Proverbs is give gentle answers. The second is be willing to take advice or to receive correction. Uh, Here's something from the Harvard Harvard, uh, Business Review, the Harvard Business Review. And it talks about the people that are willing to take advice. And it talks about leaders that are willing to take advice and everybody who's willing to take advice. Advice takers must clear significant hurdles such as a deeply ingrained tendency to prefer their own opinions irrespective of their merit and the fact that careful listening is hard, time-consuming work. Advice takers must identify their own blind spots, recognize when and how to ask for guidance, draw useful insights from the right people, and overcome an inevitable defensiveness about their own views. Individuals in powerful positions are the worst at taking advice. 
According to one experimental study, they feel competitive when they receive advice from experts, which inflates their confidence and leads them to dismiss what the experts are telling them. High power participants in the study ignored almost two-thirds of the advice they received. It's hard to receive uh, advice. Uh, Proverbs says in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 17, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. But those who ignore correction will go astray. Now, there's two sides to this. There's the ability to receive correction, constructive criticism, advice from other people. But there's also the ability to graciously give it to other people. And that is a wonderful thing. If you have a friend that speaks the truth in love, you know what a gift that is. And if you are a friend that gives others you speak the truth to them in love... Uh, That is a wonderful thing, and I encourage you. It takes courage. It's hard work, but I encourage you to do it. Came across a great quote by John Wooden, the top basketball coach of all time, UCLA basketball coach, maybe the greatest basketball coach of all time, a committed follower of Christ. I love this. He says, a coach is someone who can give correction without causing resentment. Isn't that great? A coach is someone who can give correction without causing resentment. You could fill anything in there. A parent, a good parent, is someone who can give correction without causing resentment. A good boss is someone who can give correction without causing resentment. A a good marriage partner or friend is someone who can give correction without causing resentment. And God has called us to give correction to each other, but to do so in a way that uh, minimizes the correction. Uh, verse 32, the lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. Let me ask you a really tough question. I'll ask it of myself first before I ask it of you. Let me ask myself this. Glenn, how hard do I make it on people who speak the truth to me? How hard do I make it on people who speak the truth to me? Now let me ask it to you. How hard do you make it on people who speak the truth to you? You see, if I make it hard to people that, that, that speak the truth to me, if I tear their head off, if I get defensive, if I get angry, what will happen over time? They'll stop telling me the truth. And who will be the loser in that equation? I will be the loser in that. How hard do I make it on people who speak the truth to me? Now, let me flip it around. Uh, when you do speak correction to other people, do you try to do it with God's help in a way that doesn't cause resentment. And it'll maybe cause some resentment. That's their issue then. But do as much as possible say, God, give me the ability to give correction to my children, to my husband, to my wife, to my friends, to my coworkers, to my employees, to my students. Lord, could you show me how to give correction without causing resentment or maybe minimizing resentment? Proverbs 12, verse 1. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Uh, We have a saying here at Purpose Church, we say a lot, your blind spots will rule you. And I say that about myself all the time. Glenn, your blind spots will rule you. It's the things that everybody can see about me that I can't see about myself. I guarantee if you got the other pastors into a room and I wasn't there, they'd be able to point out some blind spots. And there are things that are over here and I can't see them. They're beyond my peripheral vision. Other people can see them. But to the degree that you're able to allow a little bit of light to come in on your blind spots, 
You are the beneficiary. I am the beneficiary if we're willing to do that. Uh, Chapter 13, verses 10 and 18. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Verse 18. If you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. Now let me give you the obscure story that illustrates this. It's the story of Abigail and David. Uh, Abigail was a wonderful woman, a wise woman, just a terrific woman. But she was married to a guy by the name of Nabal, who was a real jerk. Okay, he was really a nasty, nasty guy. Just the opposite of her. She was very gracious, and he was the exact opposite of that. And David and his men had done some work for Nabal. And when it came time to pay David and his men, Nabal not only refused to pay them, but insulted them in the process. Now, this works in most situations. You can get by with this in most situations. But David and his warriors were some of the greatest warriors in all of human history. And so David's very human response, when he hears that he's not going to get paid, and in the process he is insulted, he has the wonderful response, get your sword. And so they all grab their sword. And they all start riding over. And the Bible even says that David is muttering to himself, here I've done all this work for him, and all this, and he doesn't pay me, and, and he insults me in the process, and I'm going to, but may the, you know, may the Lord hold me accountable if by the sunset today I don't kill them all. And so he's got that, that macho response to it, that kind of angry, I'm going to kill them all kind of thing going on. But praise God for Abigail. Praise God for Abigail. Uh, picking it up with verse 23, uh, we're in chapter 25. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. She reminds me of Gideon. You know, Gideon and Abigail are made of the same thing. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Not very nice to say about your husband, but it was true. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. Now, Nabal in Hebrew means fool. So in defense of the guy, what were his parents thinking? You name your child fool, what do you think you're going to raise him up to be? A genius, you know? So he's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent, verse 26. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. Verse 27. And here is a present, a bunch of food that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. Here's the point. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for your fighting the Lord's battles. Here's what a loving friend that gives you correction will do. They will remind you of God's long-term purpose in your life. And they'll, they'll remind you, don't do something impulsively, Don't sin impulsively. Don't do something with short-term gratification that will injure the long-term dynasty that God is producing. And God is producing a dynasty in and through each and every one of you. If you're a follower of Christ, he has a purpose, a plan for your life. He has a dynasty in store for you, a spiritual legacy that will echo into eternity. Don't mess that up with a short-term 
decision. I mean, that's what Jephthah did. He had an impulsive response, and it ruined his dynasty. Gideon had a a, a godly response, and he had a long-term lasting legacy and dynasty. And so friends that love friends, Christian friends that love Christian friends, will remind them, don't do this thing for short-term benefit or to feel good short-term because it will have an impact on the long-term work God is having in your life. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Verse 29. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised... And has made you leader of king. He wasn't king now. He was a man on the run. He was on the run. He was a fugitive. But someday, God's going to make you the leader. Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Don't let the, Don't do it, David. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel who has sent you to meet me today. You know, David had many flaws, but he had one positive trait that helped him to finish well in his walk with God. He was willing and able to receive correction. David made some big-time mistakes, but he was always had this kind of response when somebody came to correct him. Always. Even after he had made the mistake already, he was ready to repent because he was willing to receive a correction. Of next verse, verse 33. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Now, there's a sweet ending to this. Read it on your own. She goes home, tells Nabal that he had just escaped death. He has a stroke and dies the next day. (laughs) It gets better. Abigail, David, hears it, takes her as his wife. So it's like like the best story. All right. so, So sometimes we have the gracious response, but God still sticks it to him. And those are like yes moments. All right. <laughs> Give general answers. Uh, take, take advice. And now the, the third one is think before you act. Think before you act. ArcelorMittal Steel, it's a steel company, feeling it was time for a shakeup, hired a new CEO. The new boss was determined to rid the company of all of its slackers. On a tour of the facilities, the CEO noticed a guy leaning against a wall. The room was full of workers, and he wanted to let them know that he meant business. He asked the guy, how much money do you make a week? A little surprised, the young man looked at him and said, I make about $400 a week. Why? The CEO said, wait right here. He walked back to his office, came back in two minutes, handed the guy $1,600 in cash, and said, here's four weeks' pay. Now get out of here and don't come back. Feeling pretty good about himself, the CEO looked around the room and asked, does anyone want to tell me what that goofball did here? From across the room, a voice said, he's the pizza delivery guy from Domino's. (laughs) 
think before you act. Get advice. You should have asked that question before rather than later. Uh, I came across this uh, yesterday. Um, Think once before you act, twice before you speak, and three times before you post on Facebook. So there, there you go. You got it right there. Think before you act. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. I'm sorry. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. Uh, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. The Bible has a term for people that think they're always right. And that word is, is fools. But the wise realize they're not always right. They don't know everything, and so they listen to others. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 16. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And even brag about their foolishness. You know, somebody comes into work unprepared. Well, I'm sorry, I'm just the spontaneous type. No, you're just the unprepared type. (laughs) Even brag about their foolishness. Proverbs 14, verse 15. Only simpletons, isn't that a great word? Only simpletons believe everything they're told. Only simpletons believe everything they read online. The prudent carefully consider their steps. They get more information to make sure it's true or not. Only simpletons believe everything they hear a gossip say to them. Everything they, that somebody tells them. Only a simpleton believes that. But the prudent, as opposed to the simpletons, carefully consider their steps. There's something we talk about here at Purpose Church all the time. The 90%, 99%, 1% rule. And it's really helped with unity within our church. And we're a very unified church. And, and I think this guideline has just helped a great deal. Whenever you hear something that you don't care for, that a friend of yours, whether it's church or outside of church, this is at work, this is at school, students, this is everywhere. Whenever you hear that somebody said something you don't like or somebody did something you don't, you don't like, first thing you do is you get more information. Get more information. Innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. Get more information. And I have found in my life that when I get more information, it clears it up 90% of the time. 90% of the time, when I just get more information, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense, and I agree with what was said or what was done. An additional 9% of the time, I may still disagree with what was done, but I understand the reasons and the motives behind it. And I might say, ah, I didn't care for what they did, but you know what? I, I realized they had good motives Uh, They had a good reason for doing that. So 99% of the time, when I get more information, it it makes me feel much, much better about it. Now, about 1% of the time, uh, when you get more information, you're like, you know what? I still disagree with what was done or said. Uh, I disagree with the motives behind it. But we can handle 1% disagreement with each other. We, We can handle that. But if we can get rid of the 99% just by getting more information, I want you to know, as my church family, you will always be innocent until proven guilty. I will always think the best of you. I, I want to live my life not thinking the worst, and then you have to prove to me the best. I want to live my life expecting the best, and you have to prove to me uh, the worst because, because I love you, and I will always believe the best and get more information, and, and 99% of the time that will clear it up, and even the additional 1% of the time we can live with that amount of, of conflict and that amount of disagreement. Now, the great illustration for this, and I tell you what, for the sake of time to share communion, I encourage you to read this story on your own, uh, Proverbs 22, the whole chapter. It's just a great, great story, and it illustrates this so perfectly, is the eastern and western tribes of of Israel. Now, let me just tell the story briefly. 
the eastern tribes, there are two and a half tribes that ended up living on the eastern side of the Jordan River in Israel. And then the other nine and a half tribes lived on the western side of, of Israel. Uh, of, I'm sorry, western side of, of Israel, but of, of the Jordan River. So they asked Moses, the eastern tribe said, this land is awesome here in the, what's called the Transjordan, the eastern side of the Jordan River. Can we just settle here? And Moses said, okay, but you got to go across and fight battles for the promised land with the western tribes so they can get their inheritance as well as you. They said, okay, we'll do that. So they went with them across the Jordan. They fight. They get the promised land for the western tribes. And now it's time for them to go back and claim their land on the eastern side. But as they crossed the Jordan River, before they crossed it, they built this giant monument that was a replica of the altar that was uh, back with the western tribes of the tab- next to the tabernacle where the sacrifices were offered in worship of God. And a rumor, some gossip began to spread among the western tribes. You know why they built that. They're starting a new nation. They're going to serve another God. They're going to worship God on their own. They are splitting from us. And they built this for sacrifices so they can leave us, start their own nation, and worship God in their own way rather than at the tabernacle. And so they mobilized an army to go over and kill them all. And one bright person said, you know what? Before we kill them all, why don't we ask them why they built that? Oh, oh, there's an idea. So they sent a delegation over. And the delegation goes over and says, why'd you build this? Uh, are you trying to start a new nation? You starting to, are you trying to leave us? And they're appalled. They go, my goodness gracious, no. We built this as a reminder that we are part of the nation of Israel. We would never offer burnt sacrifices there. That's for the tabernacle. But we built this around it because we're afraid that when, our, when we're gone and our children are here and our children's children, they might say, because you live on the other side of the Jordan, you're not part of the nation of Israel. And this is a built-in reminder for generations to come that we are as much a part of the nation of Israel on the eastern side of the Jordan as those of you that live on the western side. And the delegation went, oh. And they went back and they told the western tribe, the people, and they went, oh. And they said, I guess we won't kill them after all. Yay. And it just illustrates that whole principle that most of the time when you get more information, you're like, oh, I, I, I get it now. I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to gossip about them. I'm not going to share negative things more about them because, you know, I, I finally kind of understand where they're coming from. Okay, one final proverb, and then we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 9. Fools make fun of guilt. But the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Now, can I make a confession to you? As I read through these Proverbs, I feel guilty. Let me, let me confess to you as my church family. I do not always give gentle answers. I do not always take advice. And I do not always think before I act. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit uses these Proverbs to convict me. I am guilty before God. But the Bible says a fool will make fun of that and say, oh, my goodness, you know, who who cares? Guilt is such an old-fashioned idea. The whole idea of guilt and repentance, that's so 1700s Puritans. That's so old-fashioned. But no, the Bible says that a wise person will acknowledge that guilt and seek reconciliation. And you know what the Lord's Supper is all about? It's all about being reconciled with God.
Jesus came and died on the cross for people that don't always give gentle answers, don't always think before they act, and, 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 and don't always ask advice and are not always open to correction. He came for sinners that fall short in those three areas as well as another three million areas just like you and like me. And this is a built-in reminder that we can find forgiveness for those things in Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross. Uh, Everybody here is welcome to share the Lord's Supper. You just need to know that you're a follower of Christ, that you have been reconciled with God. Things are right between you and God. You say, Glenn, I'm not sure if I've done that. Or if I'd like to do it today, how would I go about doing it? If you look in the front of you there in the book rack, uh, there's a little uh, thing that says resource on it, how to become a follower of Jesus. And there's a little suggested prayer on it. If you've ever prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today, what better way to start the new year than to be made right with God through Jesus and his death on the cross. And if you pray that prayer in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to be forgiven, to be reconciled with God, you are very, very welcome to show that outwardly by sharing the Lord's Supper with us uh, right now. The bread represents his body given for us on the cross. The cup represents his blood uh, shed for us on the cross. So let's take just a moment now and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.